Baffling Combustions is a production of the Institute for Publishing Arts and Station Hill Press. If you want to reach us, email bc at stationhill.org. Baffling Combustions is edited by the Catskill Poetic Action Network. We're live on WCAA and on the Pacifica Radio Network. We're available on most podcast venues. And that's all I got. Enjoy our show. Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truitt, and Sparrow as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange. So this is us from... January 22nd, 2020, found and edited and brought to you now, a year plus ago, we were talking about Robin Hood, he's back, it's green, it goes on forever. And so we find ourselves here again. And we're here to talk about somebody whom, for whom no introduction is necessary or adequate by the name of Robin Hood. Robin Goodfellow. Jack in the Green. Yeah, in true folkloric fashion, Robin Hood is pervasive, but somehow indistinct, I would say. Hmm. I was struck by the sheer number of filmations of the life of Robin Hood. Huh. There were a lot. I looked online, and there must have been about a dozen since Errol Flynn's famous depiction of Robin Hood. And there was the TV show that I watched as a kid, which I just listened to the theme song of. The only part of which I can remember was Feared by the Bad, Loved by the Good. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Huh. I didn't know there was a TV show. Looks uh, like it's from the 1950s. I didn't look up the date. Uh-huh. But it had all the classic characters. Uh-huh. The Merry Men, Little John, Friar Tuck, Maid Marian, and, of course, the hero. And the evil Sheriff of Nottingham. Sheriff Those of are Nottingham. the basic, uh, you know, uh, components of this legend, as I understand it. Robin Hood lives in the forest of Nottingham. No, He's Sherwood, a, Sherwood Forest. He lives in Sherwood Forest. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, I looked up on Google um, Earth. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I did, and <laughs> it's it's um. It's a little patch. It's it's dinky. And huh. yeah, it's a little patch and there's roads around and uh it's north of a place called Nottingham actually. 
and apparently east of, I think, Birmingham. Yeah, it's in the industrial north of England. I passed by it when I was hitchhiking to Scotland in 1986. Ah, yeah, Sherwood Forest now, I think, is, is a, it's got some, I saw some pictures, a theme park. Mm. And there, I did see some charming paths through the woods. Um, but the woods looked kind of anemic and sparse. Huh. A little, a, a little sad, you know, relative to the forest of our imagination in which Robin Hood held, held, uh, counsel among his brothers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a and pretty I, masculine world. Like our masculine podcast world. It's yeah. the merry men. Yeah. Like us three merry men. With Mary, uh, uh, made Marion in sight. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, it has a, a little bit of the flavor of the troubadour sense of courtly love, um, in which the paramour, the, the, the divine, object toward which you throw yourself in words is kind of inaccessible and, and somewhat a bit put aside. Um, you know, so there's probably some aspects of meritology. Is that what you call it, Andrew? You know, the worship of Mary. Mariolatry is what the uh, Jehovah's hey, Witnesses call it. You watch it. <laughs> You're talking to a cat up here. <laughs> It's the Marian cult of devotion. The Marian cult of devotion. And this woman is named Maid Marian. Yeah. I mean, is their relationship um, courtly? They're not making the beast with two backs. There's there is um. <laughs> Who knows what goes on in those woods? But that I, that that therein lies a point. Therein lies a point. There's much mystery in the wood. Now, if I understand it correctly, the, the legend of Robin Hood can be traced back to uh, balladeers from the 13th or 14th century. Did anyone look into the origins of the Robin Hood mythos? No, I didn't. Well, I think the first ballads of Robin Hood are pretty early, and I think there was something in the 1300s, or there's scan, yeah. you know, there's traces of a of a Robin Hood, and of course the signing of the Magna Carta you know, which these barons, um, you know, forced King John into. That was in 1215, wasn't it? The signing of the Magna Carta. That's right. And it's sort of synonymous, in the, you know, it's sort of in that period. And uh, who's the one who goes off on the Crusades? I think it's not... Um, Robin Hood has allegiance to the true king who danced off to the Middle East to, I guess, battle the Saracens or some such thing. Mm. And, yeah, right. And, um, you know, I think one of the sort of big scenes in these Robin Hood movies is that the uh, Lionheart, it's King Richard the Lionheart, uh, you know, he, uh, unveils himself, you know, he's, he's wearing sort of clothes sparrow a little bit like what you're wearing right now this <laughs> kind of a, a shawl or sort of you know and then a hooded hood and he takes it off and underneath he's got his armor and he's got the the big lion heart you know on his chest plate 
Yeah, the rebels. He and I share a king. Oh yeah, I believe yeah, I yeah. Well, I'm sorry. What does ah. what does Lionheart have to do with Robin Hood? You're you're saying contemporaneous? Or well, I mean, I'm I'm really just you know picking at sort of junk I remember, but as I recall, Robin Hood. You know, one of his big things was to steal from the rich and to give to the poor. And I believe the the story is that King John was taking advantage of the tax system, was overtaxing the people of England. Um, that was also part of the Magna Carta, right? So Robin Hood, who's depicted in different ways, either as a what's called yeoman, yeah. who I guess is not a peasant or a real like outright slave but sort of you know more of a something that we would liken to sort of a, a middle way or middle class kind of thing it's all kind of foggy to me but sometimes he's depicted as a, uh, a like a noble person and there are analogs i think historic analogs of some cat Fitzwarren, I think, is, is cited, um, who had some gripe and lost his castle and then hid out in the woods and, you know, became a kind of brigand. And then eventually one person died or was exiled and somebody else came in and he came back into his estate. And so that's one of the possible analogs. But typically in these stories, he's considered to be Kind of a worker, you know, kind of a um, uh, Joe Hill, you know, a um, a person mm-hmm. who's standing up for the downtrodden. And uh, I read somewhere that that shift from the yeoman origins to uh, highborn origins occurred uh, later on. I, mm-hmm. I can't pinpoint it historically, but this essay that I read online was um tracing the um, evolution of Robin Hood from um, the middle classes, quote-unquote, to, uh, to nobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think co-opting. Yeah, probably. Yeah, go ahead, Kispera. I mean, the main sort of uh, quality of Robin Hood is that he defies the sheriff. He defies the local authorities. Why does he defy the local authorities? Either because he's a rebellious proletarian or because he's secretly an aristocrat. Those would be the two logical reasons. And I think over time, or maybe in some circumstances, it seems more logical that he's secretly an aristocrat. And I think that has to do with what Sam was talking about, with Richard the Lionheart being his uh, his secret uh, ally who comes to the forest and reveals himself. And so, you know, Robin Hood is kind of maybe literally above the law because he has some kind of connection to the king. Therefore, he can defy the local authorities. If if I understand, that's what you're saying. Sam. Yeah, I, I, it is. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, I think Robin Hood also, the, the argument that he's more like a yeoman figure goes back to some of these deeper mythological um, tracings or analogs, you know, he's connected to this Robin Goodfellow, who's also the puck, you know, as he mm. appears in Midsummer Night's Dream, you know, if these shadows have offended, and also to 
Jack in the Green, and I think Jethro Tull <laughs> had a good song named Jack in the Green. And oh. also to, you know, your beloved um, Sparrow, the Green Man. Right. Yeah. And and I think Peter Pan is is kind of a, you know, modern riff, you know, 1902 riff on uh, uh, Robin Hood. Because I think there's an element, I mean, as I see it mythically, uh, there's a suggestion that Robin Hood is something of um, either like a shaman, a magician, or somehow connected to like nature spirits, nature magic. The central situation, as I see it, is something like this. The Sheriff of Nottingham has complete power over his shire, his district, whatever it's called. And he's, no one can defy him. Then he rides into the forest. I think he always rides in the, in the TV show, uh, on his horse. And then he rides into the forest and then all the rules are reversed. The law no longer exists. The human law no longer exists. A kind of natural magic pagan law exists in the forest. And the kind of ruler of that energetic field is uh, this kind of trickster figure who's uh, kind of allied with the elves and fairies who is Robin Hood. That's how I see it. <laughs> I, yeah, totally. I'm with you. Sparrow, yeah, what do you... And Sam, what do you make of the presence of Friar Tuck? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Does mm -hmm. that offer some sort of legitimizing... Friar Tuck, the last Catholic monk who has found his way to this shamanistic pagan being. Is he, is by he, Tuck. Yeah. Has he left the church? I don't is that know. your sense? Uh, well, um, it, that, that's, that is my sense. I mean, I, I, so it's my sense in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, as I recall, he's periodically, you know, in the movie kind of junk, he does benedictions periodically, but it's kind of like sort of a joke, you know, a little bit, as I recall. Yeah. And he's kind of a big boozer, isn't he? He's a little bit of a Falstaffian figure. Um, no, that's my he's friends, yeah, he's a sort of Franciscan monk and, you know. Um, and overweight, always fat, and mm -hmm. kind of jolly. You know, he he's kind of the opposite in a way of your image of a of a priest being kind of solemn and religious. He seems very convivial and and egalitarian. I think that's another part of of this world, the Robin Hood world. It's a kind of a, a classless society. That was one of the the phrases that I, came to my mind. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I really want to, want to talk about that. But one thing I wanted to circle back on is, is little John, who's also a figure of that reversal. Cause little John is a giant, mm -hmm. right? And also I've heard that some people read into Robin Hood a kind of Christ-like figure. Huh. With little John being like John the Baptist. Wow. And also, um, in these stories, like you say, it's an egalitarian band of men who've come together. And that 
that Robin Hood and Little John are equal and that all of the members of this band, that it's a non-hierarchical society, very reminiscent, if I may say, of um, the thesis of the temporary autonomous zone. Right. Yeah. I also thought of that, which is our friend Peter Lamborn Wilson wrote this book, Taz, The Temporary Autonomous Zone, which was the first book present at Occupy Wall Street, the original Occupy Wall Street, and also the last book before Bloomberg's cops came in and destroyed the whole settlement. Somebody salvaged uh, The Temporary Autonomous Zone, which was a book that kind of predicted uh settlements like like occupy wall street this idea of creating places that are outside of the law where a kind of perfect utopian world can exist briefly uh kind of yeah. below and above the law kind of yeah i visited and you probably did quite a lot you guys may have uh zuccotti park a few times um and I found it in deeply compelling, um, mm. a little pinched, but compelling. And I went there with my family, with my two kids, and we spent like part of a night there, like sleeping, mm. kind of. And But mm. I also went to Standing Rock during Standing Rock. Wow. Um, yeah, out to North Dakota. And that was other, that was literally like, being on the surface of the moon, like it seemed so other. Mm, um, mm, mm, how mm. many people were involved in Standing Rock? Was it was it a large encampment? Was there were about five five different mm. encampments. There was sort of a central area that you would kind of arrive into, and. I'm not the numbers, you know, I would say a thousand plus or minus. It fluctuated. It'd be difficult to say. I'd say probably within a thousand, but it'd be plus or minus a thousand. But really, I don't know the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got the sense it was really a kind of an amazing place. The uh, Just the images from Standing Rock, the photographs yeah. from it. Yeah. But I think that was very much in keeping with Robin Hood and his activities, which, you know, is, is the, to my mind, this one of the signal tasks of our time, which has to do with wealth redistribution and income redistribution, but preferably wealth and everybody can take a holiday, man. <laughs> Income distribution is still a form of slavery, but, um, yeah. you know, obviously we've come to a point of extreme contraction in terms of the, you know, money, and it's, it's gonna have to be, um, reapportioned, ladies and gentlemen. Now, is, is Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, the aged Robin Hood of our times? Yeah, I was thinking of Elizabeth uh, Warren, uh, Maybe just because she has this very precise, uh, tax on the rich. And, and supposedly the Wall Street plutocrats have all gotten together and said, we've got to stop her from mm. becoming president. This is dangerous. Uh, you know, she's going to take all our money, even, uh, 
what is the name of that guy that invented computers? He was sort of joking that, you Turing. know, he's going to take no, uh, all his billions of dollars. So Bill Gates? Bill Gates, yeah. He was like, yeah. he made a speech where he said, you know, well, if she wants $50 billion, that's when I get a little nervous, you know. I mean, but she, no, yeah, I know. I was thinking that. about like in the 1930s, in fact, I'm preparing to sing Pretty Boy Floyd by Woody Guthrie. Um, uh, yeah, you know, great. in the 1930s, they had these romantic bank robbers who were folk heroes. They were real people. John Wesley Hardin, that uh, Bob Dylan named a record after. Um, and these were guys. Well, but Bonnie and Clyde included a woman. I think yeah. sometimes there were women involved. And uh, they would rob banks and then do good deeds for the people. But that uh, whole sort of uh, archetype seems to have kind of vanished now, except uh, uh, in uh, politics where you have uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, there was a famous female gangster, Mob Barker. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is with Robin Hood and what distinguishes him is concealment. Huh. You know, this idea of the hood. Of the, you know, wearing a, something over your head that is, um, concealment. And also, Hood is, um, has some Robin Hood, Robin Wood. Uh, somehow, Hood and Wood are related in some way, in this, uh, mythopoetic way. And then the, the fact of the forest itself as being a, a concealment. And an operating, as you said, Sparrow, outside of the laws, you know, and a, and a kind of magical reversal. Very much like Midsummer Night's Dream, actually. And also I was thinking of the Forest of Arden in mm -hmm. uh, As You Like It. You know, Shakespeare likes this image of you walk into the forest and everything is reversed. Right. Yeah. And it's partly just a physical thing, like you... You walk into a literal forest and you literally can't figure out which direction is which. Like a lot of your man-made uh, methods of uh, locomotion uh, are lost. So it's literally impossible to know where you are, in a sense. My image from the TV show is the Sheriff of Nottingham uh, rides very majestically... You know, it's like the same plot over and over. The Sheriff of Nottingham never figures out. It's like Charlie Brown and the football. He never guesses that when he goes into that forest, he's in trouble. And he very, like, you know, proudly and hubristically rides with his retinue into the forest and then, zoop, his hat flies off his head because an arrow has pierced it. You know, because that's part of Robin Hood's magic is that he's a great... Um, you know, a shooter with an arrow, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, Bowman. archer. Archer, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then, so not only don't you know quite where you are in a forest, but sudden things can come out of nowhere because there's a leaf cover you can't see around you, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> the Sheriff of Nottingham is an unjust tyrant. He's, he's not depicted. Is he, um, as a complex figure morally, who's trying to do the right thing, but struggling, um, who believes in the laws he's trying to enact. 
Yeah, You're isn't there also a love triangle? I mean, I think that doesn't the sheriff of Nottingham have a thing for Marion? Like he wants to, um, uh, you know, to be with her, to bed her, to wed her, whatever it is. Isn't that I think part so. of the I'm not story? sure. And I think he's much older than her, and Robin Hood is young and dashing. That's my image. Yeah. And she, I think Maid Marian's in love with with Robin Hood, but is she really in love with him or just kind of attracted to the excitement of the outlaw? I think uh-huh. it's a little unclear, even to her. Kind right. of like the way women are in love with James Dean, I was thinking. <laughs> well, you know, Robin Hood definitely makes um, quite a few appearances in poems and songs. Mm. Returning to my earlier uh, remark, I John Keats wrote that poem about Robin Hood entitled Robin Hood. I didn't know about that until I did a little research. Yeah, I found that poem too, which I'd also never heard of. And Robin Hood, of course, is in Bob Dylan's Desolation Row. Einstein, oh, really? Einstein is disguised as Robin Hood. Ha, ha, ha! He, he, he was famous long ago for playing the electric violin on Desolation Row. Ha, ha, ha! I wonder if that means anything. I don't think it does. <laughs> ha, ha, ha! Einstein, how would Einstein be disguised as Robin Hood? Well, Einstein did become a re-come, a re-come, a re-come, a re- Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So James Dean would actually have made an excellent Robin Hood. Too bad he, um, you know, he, <laughs> too bad he died in Paso Robles. He was driving a spider Porsche. I think it was 1950, what was it, 58, something like that? Or was it a little later? That sounds right. I don't really know. When was uh, Rebel Without a Cause, 55? I mean, I guess. Wasn't that when Hal was published? I, it's hard. The dates are a little foggy. I think Giant, though, was the early... I'm not sure when James Dean died. He died young, and I but think he was just... The 60s. James yeah. Dean died in 1955. Wow. Holy cow. Wow. That's fascinating. It, it, was the, it was the same year that the film Rebel Without a Cause appeared. Oh, yeah. Is it the year that uh, Charlie Parker died? I think it is, at the age of 34. Was he that young? Charlie Parker, I think, was 34, yeah. But um, the Robin Hood from my uh, younger years was was Kevin Costner. Oh, Oh, yeah. And Andy McDowell played the role of Maid Marian, and there was a scene where she was watching him skinny dip. Oh, yeah. Through a copse of trees. I have a recollection of that. Maybe I was in sixth or seventh grade. But you were saying it didn't have much of an effect on you. It never resonated with me. And I I don't know. I don't know why. Um, The archetype of Robin Hood never did. I was was never intrigued. Hmm. Maybe in a passing sort of way. It's presented very anglophilically, you know, it's, it can't really, it's not American, you know, it, I was just watching like, you know, two minutes of the TV show that I watched as a kid and it, it seems very archaic and, 
very aristocratic, very English. I mean, this is the scene with the Sheriff of Nottingham, I think. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's it's not familiar. It doesn't strike one as familiar, I don't think. Yeah, it's difficult to bring up, um, to my mind, kind of American analogs, aside from those whom you mentioned, uh, Sparrow, the kind of 20s, 30s, I guess, 30s, 40s gangsters, you know, and, uh, um, you know, definitely Bonnie and Clyde made a... Uh, a play for, um, you know, paying off, you know, pay, you know, passing out some dough. What about John Brown? Oh. <laughs> Not so parallel, but there are some elements that are similar. Yeah. He was living outside of the law, right? And attacked the arsenal at Harper's Ferry, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he was a solo act, though. Did he have a confederacy that yeah, he, was he did have, working uh, with? As yeah, he did have his sons. He had a lot of sons. I think uh, his sons helped him in uh, kill people in bloody Kansas. You know, that's uh-huh. when he got his start, when they were having these big battles in Kansas over the vote, over whether Kansas should vote itself a slave state or a free state. And then they had these horrible you know, uh, murderous uh, raids back and forth that uh, John Brown was part of that were the beginning. You know, now scholars say, well, this was kind of the origins of the Civil War. That's, I think, 1855, if I remember correctly. Yeah, one thing that's interesting is that um, I got wind of, I guess, the fact that in Kansas or Missouri or some one or another Midwest state banned Robin Hood, the teaching of Robin Hood in school. <laughs> really? Um, because, yeah, because it, because of its communist aura. Uh huh. That's wow. great. Robin Hood's blacklisted. My goodness. I guess I shouldn't be so surprised. And so Woody Rob- Guthrie was a communist or at least very pro communist. And he wrote Pretty Boy Floyd. I think I'm going to sing it now. I'll just sing the parts that are most robbed from the rich, give to the poor. Excellent. But many a starving farmer, the same old story told, how the outlaw paid their mortgage and saved their little homes. Others tell you about a stranger that came to beg a meal. And underneath his napkin left a thousand dollar bill. It was in Oklahoma City. It was on a Christmas day. There was a whole carload of groceries came with a note that said, Well, you say that I'm an outlaw. You say that I'm a thief. Here's a Christmas dinner for the families on relief. Yes, as through this world I've wandered, I've seen lots of funny men. Some will rob you with a six-gun and some with a fountain pen. (laughs) Great song. I know, it's really... It's a kind of underappreciated 
writer, uh, Woody Guthrie. Oh, yeah. And, you know, somehow he had that talent of taking Sit these them. archetypes and fastening them directly into the American bloodline, like uh, Elizabeth Warren, also from Oklahoma. <laughs> oh. Oh, is she from... She, uh, I guess she was teaching in Texas. She's from Oklahoma. I, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, grew up in yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. She's yeah. got a kind of weird version of an Oklahoma accent. Yeah. <laughs> but she... Tends to wear blue, I think, not green. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's that sort of argot American culture that runs through the railroads, you know, like Rockland Land is a mad good road, said the Rockland Land a road to ride, said the Rockland huh. Land is a mad good road. If you want to ride it, got to ride it like a find it because you can't get a ticket on the Rockland Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that also has that aspect of being outside the law or being a, a self, mm. uh, the hobo encampment, um, you know, coming out of the depression and coming out of a period of extreme economic imbalance and destabilization. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, when thinking about Robin Hood, I started thinking about where I live in Phoenicia, New York, in the Catskill Mountains is a little bit like Sherwood Forest. And and soon after I moved to Phoenicia, I went to a meeting of the town board, and the town supervisor, who's like the equivalent to the mayor, this guy, Neil Grant, he, he died soon after that, he said, you know what they say, there's no law west of Boyceville. <laughs> and this is like and we're about seven miles west of Boyceville this is the mayor of the town <laughs> saying proudly saying there's no law here you know so you know when you live in the real mountains you discover that you know it is a place where people can hide out I mean part of the reason I'm here is because my communist parents would come to this area, you know, in the 50s and 60s where they couldn't go anywhere else. This was a place where they were communists and then they were also fascists. You know, that's what I've heard, that there would be like Ku Klux Klan meetings in one town and then the the Communist Party had a camp, the uh, Camp Woodland, which is like just down the road from where I live, where Pete Seeger would play in the 50s. That was like a communist a de facto communist front camp where one of the Rosenberg's kids went to. And when you're in the, in the mountains, anybody can be there. You know, there's, there's, there's a sort of equality of lawlessness. And supposedly Dutch Schultz, the famous gangster, uh, buried his mysterious fortune here in Phoenicia. That's a local legend. Yeah, and so, there's, uh, I guess back in the day, there was gambling, and I guess there is now, but that's endemic. Um, yeah. You know, in the Catskills, and I think also there was a lot of racial equality and egalitarianism mm -hmm. that went on through those, um, uh, I guess it's not part of the Borscht Belt, but what's the Catskills? The um, They're not it, part it, of... It is the Borscht Belt, no? Yeah. Oh, oh good. And yeah, where the Woodstock Festival was held. And also around here, there were uh, hippie communes, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. So it's in that way, I kind of identify with the... And then my wife and I both live 
under assumed names. We don't use our legal names. We live in this place where there's no law. So we're a little bit like Robin Hood and his merry men. What What's your wife's assumed name? What's her, her assumed name is, is Violet Snow. Violet, Violet Snow. Yeah, she got that name. We were staying at a peace camp in uh, Scotland outside of Glasgow. And she went for a walk and she came back. She said, I have a new name, Violet Snow. And I said to her, sounds like a romance novelist. (laughs) She kept it anyway. And then she became an herbalist later, was a very good herbalist name. Then she became a local journalist for the Woodstock Times. It was a good journalist name. It's, it's, It's funny that that name has kind of adapted itself to her different twists and turns of her life. And pretty uh-huh. much everybody calls her Violet now. Calling her memoir, A Day in the Life of a Sadhu. Is that what yeah, Afternoon of a Sadhu. Afternoon of a Sadhu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great title. She writes of the story of her arriving at Violet Snow. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You should read it. I would it. like to read it. I would like to read it. Can I, yeah, can it's I interesting. It? Can I get it on Amazon? Yeah, I think. Are you- are you in it? Uh, no, because I hadn't met her yet. Oh, it's a memoir from her early life. She was in India in maybe 76, 1976, and she gave away all her uh, earthly belongings, shaved her head, got a robe, and became a sadhu. She became a wandering, holy person and begging for food. For how long? For few months, two months, three months, something like that. She ended up, well, I don't want to ruin the plot for you. <laughs> it's cheap, you know, I think. You know, um, I don't have the poem in front of me, but I did glance at it briefly. The John Keats poem, Robin Hood, he laments the fact that Robin Hood is no longer possible in what was his um, historical moment. Yeah. Responding hmm. to uh, sonnets written by his friend, literary friend, John Hamilton Reynolds. Reynolds, two sonnets um, celebrating Robin Hood, and Keats dashed off this poetic response in which he he, uh, he, he, uh, proclaims no. I think the first word is no. Yeah, I have it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we... Yeah, I'll give you the first verse. It's pretty long. Uh, It's just called Robin Hood. But the first verse is kind of about that, kind of what you're talking about. No, those days are gone away, and their hours are old and gray, and their minutes buried all under the downtrodden pall. Of the leaves of many years, many times have winter's shears, frozen north and chilling east, sounded tempests to the feast of the forest's whispering fleeces, since men knew not rent nor leases. (laughs) No, the bugle sounds no more, and the twanging bow no more. Silent is the ivory shrill, past the heath and up the hill. There is no mid-forest laugh, where lone echo gives the half to some white amazed to hear, jesting deep in forest drear. Can you read the final few lines? Because in the final few lines, I, if my memory serves correct, John Keats imagines taking up the uh, the burden of the Robin Hood 
legend, and the burden, of course, has two meanings. Um, the standard meaning, and also uh, it's a, uh, it means a repeated chorus in, in a ballad, is referred to in literary terminology as a burden as well. I think it, that word appears maybe in the, the penultimate line of the poem. The last line. Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. So it is, yet let us sing honor to the old bowstring, honor to the buglehorn, honor to the woods unshorn, honor to the Lincoln green, honor to the archer keen, honor to tight little John, and the horse he rode upon, honor to bold Robin Hood, sleeping in the underwood, honor to Maid Marian, and to all the Sherwood clan. Though their days have hurried by, let us too a burden try. Huh. I, I like how I like how burden echo. echo. Yeah, the burden <clears throat> echo, right? Yeah. What's interesting? A couple things. One is Lincoln Green. Yeah. What um, is that? That the, it's a green that was produced in the town of Lincoln, mm. and it was a medieval. Um, discovery of mixing a few colors and producing this very vivid sort of emerald huh. green huh. you know and this the whole green echo of robin hood um you know potentially in terms of some of these mythopoetic echoes goes back to wisdom goes back to primordial wisdom the huh. color green is associated with like trismegistus the emerald tablets of Trismegistus, and um, so you know that that is uh, interesting, and also the the figure of the archer, um, mm. you know, and this idea of Robin Hood and his merry band being beyond the law. The understanding and or the term that's used when you miss your mark in archery, mm. that is, you're trying to hit like the center or whatever. Uh, when you miss your mark, that's called a sin. Right. That's uh, like uh, in Hebrew. Oh, you mean that's the term people use? Yeah. And then, and I believe that the word sin predates its application to moral probity or, you know, all that kind of thing. But this relates to missing your mark, missing your aim, missing that for which you are launching yourself out toward. Yeah, that's what the rabbi at the Woodstock Jewish congregation is always saying. That, but I thought that was the Hebrew derivation of the word sin comes from that concept of missing the mark. Yeah, also I fairly recently listened to Zen in the Art of Archery hmm. by Eugen Herigl. Yeah. Um, you know, on a, a real cassette, actually. Uh-huh. And he you know, pursued, uh, he, you know, he wanted to learn Zen and he thought it's going to be too difficult to sit there and do nothing. I'm going to learn archery. So he learned Zen through doing archery. Like the intention was that he would learn the same thing that you learn by meditating, but his practice would be archery. And, you know, he has his breakthrough. He sort of achieves a kind of archer's enlightenment. Yeah, a little reminiscent of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all those Zen and the art of come out of that book. His was the first, I believe. Yes, 
Zen at least in the Western sort of transmission. Yeah. Yeah, it's a killer title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, phrase, you know, to build into a title. Yeah. It kind of cries out for a parody, you know, Zen yeah. and art of... But I would, al- I would also say that Robin Hood represents perhaps the opposite of, um, of hitting your mark or, you know, in that he's also associated, there's a phrase, Robin Larder Tree, hmm. which is the, the tree of life, the Robin hmm. Larder Tree, but it's the horn of plenty or cornucopia, um, hmm. And is also a little bit like Fortunatus's purse. Do you know what that is? No. Yeah, Fortunatus's purse is a special uh, bag in which the more that you spend, the more that you, um, you know, give away or, you know, spend, uh, oh. the more you have. Oh. It, and that's connected to... To what? To the Horn of Plenty, Cornucopia, and specifically to this thing called Robin Larder Tree. Larder, like the closet full of goodies. And what is a Robin Larder Tree? It's a tree in the forest that's full of uh, food? No, I think it's part of the Robin Goodfellow, you know, green man, Jack in the Green, this fecundity Mm. that's associated Mm. with May Day. you know, which was perverted as rent day, but is, you know, also picked up by our communist brethren. And, uh, mm. you know, it has to do with the Maypole um, mm. and celebration of spring, man. Winter's over. Well, we need a Robin Hood now. I think we need <laughs> yeah. a Robin Hood. We need yeah. a, a Friar Tuck and Little John. It was interesting that John Keats referred to Little John as Tight John. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I was struck by that, too. I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there definitely is at least a homoerotic yeah. quality to to all these merry men uh, living men- in the forest together. Right, and also, as we discussed, the distance at which, you know, Maid Marian is kept, you know? She's, yeah. Yeah. She's sort of a beard. <laughs> or you know also uh, a you know if you want to see the whole thing as misogynist she's part of the misogynist idea that you know we don't want real women we only want pure idealized perfect women you know in our society you know our perfect uh, utopian forest life because in a way you know these virginal pure idealized princessy women are kind of, it's the same as no women. <laughs> what is it people say? There are three sexes, men, women, and thin women. Can't really say this anymore in the modern world. <laughs> Robert Kelly said once at a poetry reading that uh, fat men were a third gender. I'll, 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 I'll never forget that. That's when he uh-huh. was quite rotund himself. He said fat men are the third gender. Huh. I guess we're getting rather controversial on engaging in and trafficking in sizes in here. Oh, um, sizes, yeah. And I think, I feel that, that uh, what is his name, Barry, that guy that invented Peter Pan, 
was uh-huh. sort of into something about Robin Hood that as an archetype, I think he doesn't age. I think when you think of, of Robin Hood, you don't think he's getting older. What about the old Robin? You know, what's he going to do when he retires? You, you just think of him eternally as living in this youthful life. And it's almost like when you live in that magical forest, you don't have a wife, you don't have a house. And where do these guys sleep? I think it's not clear. I have an image of them sleeping in hammocks, uh-huh. maybe from a TV show, but I don't know if I just invented that. That's interesting, Sparrow. There, you're right, there is no or very few depictions of encampments. Yeah, there's just an eternal feast. There's they're just eternal- always eating. That's my image of them. They're either like tricking the sheriff or they're having this feast, and the feast kind of magically appears like uh, what Sam was saying. It's not so much that they rob from the rich and give to the poor as that they live in a world without money and without almost without even the laws of physics. You could sort of picture them uh, levitating. (laughs) Well, I would like to circle back to that. I thought that was the, you know, common attribution to Robin Hood. You know, that's his, um, how do you say, mission statement. Is what? You know, to steal from the rich, rob from the rich to give to the poor. But the thing that I'm not sure about is that I'm not sure he leaves his forest very often. I guess he's, I think he's a master of disguise. I have a faint memory Uh, of that because I think, isn't there a famous archery contest at the castle that he sort of crashes the party and wins? The contest splits the bow of the of the other second best archer. Uh, no, splits the arrow. You know what I mean? Right. His arrow is so great it goes straight through the other arrow. I don't know if I'm making this up. And then no, he no. rides off, grabs Maid Marian, rides off with her into the forest, and removes his disguise. He's uh, Robin Hood, I think. So maybe that's how he dispenses the money: is he goes out in disguise. Yeah, that's some kind of also retelling of the Odysseus, yeah. Uh, yeah. obviously legend, and uh, yeah, the mm. art, you know, um, stringing the bow and doing so in disguise. Huh, that's really interesting. We yeah. lifted the hood on uh, Robin Hood and looked inside. The only thing I have to say that I haven't said yet: what about Batman and Robin? Is that a uh, uh, allusion to Robin Hood? Uh, and also, in the contemporary world, there's all these puns on like, I'm Robin the Hood, you know, I'm in the hood, I'm a robber. I mean, I don't know, maybe this is whatever, morally wrong to say this, but, you know, I wear a hoodie. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm from the hood. I wear a hoodie. I'm a hood, meaning a hoodlum. You know, there's all these resonances with Robin Hood. I don't know if they're just pure coincidences that hoods are go around Robin people. No, I don't think so. I think that's a carryover. And in a sense, I wanted to say this. Concealment. In a sense, all crime is uh, Robin Hood-like because who who robs people? Poor people. <laughs> you know? Whom do they rob? Rich people, you know. Generally, every criminal is robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, even if the poor is only herself or himself. So 
in a sense, you know, if you believe in Robin Hood, in a sense, you're defending all crime. <laughs> Except uh, the white-collar crime of the banksters. You know, or maybe, uh, you know, purely crimes of violence, uh, where, you know, you just go up to somebody in a bar and punch them out for no reason, don't even take their money. There's something about the money that's kind of interesting. The idea of taking money from someone, giving it to someone else, and that that's a crime. I think that's part of what makes Robin Hood interesting is like, you have a concept of crime, but suppose someone were to, were to be completely selfless and only rob in order to help the, the, the helpless, would that still be a crime? It's almost like a philosophical uh, paradox. It is. Yeah. Well, there's the, uh, I guess, the obtruding of different scales of value. Mm. And certainly compassion is a an emotion, a state of being mm. that exists like uh, poetry exists before language, you know, so does compassion exist before the law <laughs> or something, you know. And maybe religions are kind of like Robin Hood. I mean, you go you give money to the poor box in your church. The, mon the church redistributes the money to the poor. The church is kind of like an institutional Robin Hood, arguably. Or the arguably, taxes. arguably, is or right. the government, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> you know, you pay money to Social Security, or let's say you pay your taxes, and then people get student loans from it. You know, you're sort of the government is a sort of vast Robin Hood in a way. <laughs> a vast, At its best, is a vast system of economic uh, redistribution, and you know, yeah, should be. I would just say Robin Hood, by the way. Robin is a derivation from Robert, from Robert, which means bright, Sparrow, Andrew. Yeah. And so I think we've said enough and that we can pull, pull the bright hood over this episode of Baffling Combustions and uh, check you guys down yeah. the forest uh, trail. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous. And please join us next time and remember to stay tuned and strange.